Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame, but they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who, then, is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend, days, he will spend his days in prosperity, and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word this morning, and thank you for allowing us to come and worship you uh, and just be open and honest about where we are. And um, God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for pouring everything into us um, and chasing after us and letting us come face-to-face with your love to where it's life-changing. God, thank you for your son and the work that he did on the cross and the resurrection. Um, Thank you for giving us life and Father, I pray as we enter into more time of worship and teaching that we will be open to hearing what it is that you have to say to us and that we will be obedient in what you teach us. It's your name we pray. Amen. Hey, good morning. You guys doing all right today? Good to see you. Where we are starting a new teaching series today called Renew Your Mind, and we're going to be talking through this for the next four weeks. We're just coming off of our Easter season. That was a really incredible uh, opportunity for us to worship Jesus last week. And if you were here with us last week, we're glad that you're back today. But as we're jumping into something new here, we wrapped up our teaching through the book of Luke, and now we're starting into this where we'll kind of jump all around, uh, and where Luke was very much a narrative-driven story that just followed the life of Jesus for the last five months or so. 
Uh, we're going to be jumping now into something that's a little bit more topical. And so we're going to be hitting this idea of what does it look like to have a mind that's renewed around the person of Jesus. And so as we think about this, I'll be honest in telling you that I, uh, I really prefer teaching narrative a lot more <laughs> than teaching these kinds of things. And part of the reason for that is because when I look at something like this, I go, I should not be the one teaching this. Uh, I am very much a practitioner in learning how to renew my mind, how to put myself under the authority of Christ. And, uh, and so I want you to know as we talk through these things today and for the next four weeks that I'm not coming to you as like, a, I've got this all figured out, just do everything that I, I do. Uh, I'm learning along with you and I'm really wanting to have my life and my heart and my mind re renewed and transformed into the image of Christ as well. So uh, with that said, when we think about renewing our minds, we look at ways all the time to improve ourselves, Right. Uh, maybe you'd say, I need, to, I need to improve something about myself. I want to uh, change my, my look. I'm going to go buy a new wardrobe. I want to get some new clothes. It'll change who I am. It'll give me a new appearance. It'll just make me feel better. I'll change something. Or maybe it's like, I want to lose some weight. I want to just look different a little bit. I want to have that change in me, and I'm losing some weight. Maybe you would be somebody who goes, I think if I were able to buy a new car or buy a new house or buy something off of Amazon, that would just make me feel better, right? Uh, in fact, that's why we do those things on Amazon where we're just constantly scrolling and looking, and then we go, ooh, that's cool. I bet if I owned that, it would change my whole life, right? And so you've bought stuff randomly uh, that you've just gone, I didn't even know I needed that until I saw it on Amazon. And now it's showed up at my porch two days later, right? Uh, and so all of these things that we look at when we go, if I'm trying to change something about me, if I'm trying to improve myself in some way, we will do all kinds of things to make changes in our life. But it's very rarely that we'll ever come around to the point where we'll say, the thing that I need to change more than anything is my mind. I need to be someone who's going to have my mind changed. Because when I change my mind, I really start to see long-term improvements in myself. We attempt to improve ourselves through these other changes, but it's rare that we get to this place of saying, the most important thing I can change is my mind. My looks, those are going to change all the time. What I'm doing in my life, what I drive, my physical address, ultimately all of those things won't bring lasting long-term change that's going to impact your life for eternity. But if you can learn to change your mind in a way that honors Jesus Christ, then you'll have a full life change. In fact, if you like to take notes, here's the first thing I'll give you this morning. Changing our thinking changes our lives, right? Changing our thinking changes our lives. Now, I'll say this as well, as we're kind of here at the beginning of this series. I want you to know and understand, this is not like a self-help kind of thing. Man, if you just think better and you're more positive, you'll be a better person, right? Like, this is not us coming together as a church and going, just be more positive and you can do it and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Like, this is not one of those self-help, you've got this, you can make the change kind of things. In fact, maybe the better way to say that is not just changing our thinking changes our lives, but letting God change your thinking is what really changes your life because he can change your life. That's where the, the power comes from, is let God change your thinking because he can change your life. And as he reorients your mind and your thoughts to his will and his word and his ways, then your life is changed forever, right? So let God change your thinking because he can change your life. In the Psalms, David asked God to do a really deep dive into his life. He said, God, I want you to look at my heart and my mind. I want you to do a deep dive into my life and show me some things that, ought, that need to change. He gave God permission to correct areas where he thought and believed 
that were improper. And so here's what David says in Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Like, when's the last time you've given God permission to do a deep dive into your life? And just say, God, I want you to look in my heart. I want you to look in my mind. I want to see if there are things that don't line up with you and your teachings and your glory and your holiness. And if there are, then change me. Inspect those areas in my life. And if I need to make a change, then I want to do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. Right? And so that's David's prayer. Here's why David knew that this was an important part of his belief. Because our thoughts create our beliefs, which result in our actions. Our, our thoughts, what we think about, create what we believe. And then our beliefs drive and motivate our actions. Right? And so one of the ways that I could illustrate that is just simply with using uh, a magnet that I have here on stage. And I've got some just simple screws here. And so here's an interesting thing uh, about magnets. Magnets have an invisible force. When it's just kind of hanging out over here, we would just think, hey, that's a big block of something. It could be an eraser. For all you know, I could take it up to a dry board and erase it. But it's a magnet, and it has this invisible force, this invisible power to it. We don't see it, but it's definitely real. And as the magnet gets closer to something that's magnetic, guess what it does? It pulls it to it. It attracts it to it, right? I didn't even have to put it all the way down. It sucked it onto the magnet. Because what the magnet gives off is what pulls the magnetic things to it. That's my highly scientific explanation of magnetism, right? Our brains work a lot like that. Some of you are like, you definitely don't work at Eastman, do you? Um, you didn't even take a science class in high school, did you? I did. I failed them all, all right? Um, but when you think about your mind and how this works, you know, the things you think about, you tend to pull to you right? So if you constantly think negatively about someone, guess what you're going to see in them? You're going to see the negative qualities in them. If you constantly think about the issues and the troubles that are facing you in life, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go to work. You're going to go to school. You're going to go home. And all, all that's going to be the most visible to you are the problems, the issues that you face. Where your mind is focused, your life will be drawn. And what you think, you begin to believe. And what you believe results in how you act, right? And so when you think about these things, that's what our minds do. And so as followers of Jesus, we're meant to bring our entire life under his lordship. So Paul addresses and talks about some of these things specifically about how becoming a follower of Jesus makes us a new creation. That when Paul addresses this, he goes, listen, here's what's going on. You were one person. We saw this in the picture of baptism a little while ago. That there was one person who was alive in their natural life, but then finding Jesus, there's a radical transformation that takes place. And we are brought to be a new creation. That God does something powerful in us to transform us into something brand new when we come into faith in Christ. And so here's how Paul writes and talks about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. And then Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility 
of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's due them in the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And so Paul says, when you become a new creation after surrendering to Jesus as your Savior, the next step that makes you into a new creation is what you do with your mind. That God begins to want to work in your mind. He comes and takes up residence. We talk about Jesus living in our hearts. He takes up residence in our life, but he wants to transform and renew our mind. He goes, the way that you used to think, the things that you used to do, there's a change that takes place when you become a new creation. And the change that starts to happen is in the way that you think, in the way that you believe, in the way that you act because of God changing your mind. And so Paul tells us how we do that. But if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work, to change your mind, you're going to constantly be fighting against the Lordship of Jesus. Your old self is always going to be saying, I know better than what Jesus wants you to do. And so there's a transformation that takes place where we lay down our old life and we say, God, I surrender to your Lordship that Jesus says certain things, that he expects certain things. And even if that doesn't line up with what I think and what I believe in the way that I've grown up and the way that I've been taught in the things that I've done in my natural life, now that I'm a Christian, I'm putting all of that stuff behind me in order to follow after your new path. And I want my mind to line up with yours. In fact, when Barna talks about developing a Christian worldview, Last week, we focused on the resurrection of Jesus. And we said Jesus coming back from the grave tells us that there's more for our story, that we're not done. No matter what our past has looked like, he makes us new. He raises us to life with him. The picture of baptism, again, that we saw a little while ago, that we're buried to our old way of life. We're raised to walk in newness of life, that there's a new direction that we're moving as we follow after Jesus Christ. And so we want to now develop a Christian worldview that says, I want to see the world like Jesus does. I want to engage in the world like Jesus does. I want to believe in the, the way that Jesus has me believe. And so when we see that, George Varner writes this and says that as we develop a Christian worldview, he says a biblical worldview is thinking like Jesus. It's a way of making our faith practical to every situation we face every day. A biblical worldview is a way of dealing with the world such that we act like Jesus 24 hours a day because we think like Jesus. That we're going to start to act like Jesus when we think like Jesus. And when we see the world around us, we need to learn to be people who interpret life through the lens of God's word and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit instead of interpreting the world through our circumstances and our trauma and our relationships that everything first filters through the lens of what does Jesus think about this? How do I think like him? How do I act like him? How do I move forward in life like him? The new you is being formed in the image of Christ, and it's guided by reshaping your mind. All right, so for the last few weeks, we've kind of looked at as a church and followed the story of Peter and Jesus. 
And we've seen how Peter was this bold, kind of brash guy. He was uh, the, one of the three on the inside with Jesus, that he was kind of in the, the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. And that he made these bold claims, hey, Jesus, I would go to jail for you. I would even die for you if it came down to it. And then on the night that Jesus was arrested and taken to trial, what happens with Peter? He runs just like everybody else does, right? All those big, bold claims, I would go to jail, I would die. Well, here's trouble, and Peter just takes off. But he does follow behind from a distance, and he gets to the courtyard where he sees Jesus on trial. And even there, he starts to deny Jesus over and over and over again. And so when we see Peter, he's, he's got this one way that he thinks he's going to act, but when it comes down to it, he's got an entirely different way that he's motivated to act when trouble comes. And so when Jesus comes back to life, he restores Peter. He gives him a new start as a new man. That's what resurrection does. It brings broken people to life. And because Jesus is alive, you and I have the opportunity to have a new start, a change of our life. And so Peter, the next time we see him, we see him powerfully moving for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's seen Jesus alive. He's had his mind changed about who Jesus is, about what the Messiah is, about what this whole thing is supposed to be about. And the next time we see Peter, he's preaching powerfully in front of thousands and thousands of people. And the book of Acts says that 3,000 people came to become believers in Jesus on one day. Why? Because Peter has a change of his mind and he's influenced by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes out and he works in that power to accomplish the things that Jesus is really about. Then we're going to find Peter starts writing letters to the church. We have them recorded in our scriptures, a few of the books that he wrote, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. And when we see these letters, these are things that, that he wrote to the church to instruct them and guide them. We've had them contained for us as scripture in the Bible. And so when we see these things, there's something that Peter says in 1 Peter three times. Right? And when something is repeated multiple times, you probably should sit up and pay a little bit closer attention to it. Like you kind of clue in and go, there's something that's taking place. He keeps saying that. I think maybe he wants me to pay attention to what he's saying. And here's the phrase that Peter uses three times. Be alert and fully sober. Be alert and fully sober. Have minds that are alert and fully sober. Right, and so when you see Peter say this, he's going to talk about these things. And I want to just dive into this for a few minutes. When he talks about being transformed into new people, he wants us to have minds that are alert and sober. So to be alert, Christians should have a mind that's sharp and focused and engaged. When we see the things happening around us in our culture, and when we understand that there are things that are taking place, we learn to think about those things from a biblical perspective, that our minds are alert to all that's going on around us, and we're not thrown off guard by them, we're not uh, confused by what we see going on, that we're alert to the, to the issues, that we're alert to the idea that Jesus has told us that things are going to be difficult, that the world is going to be chaotic. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have our minds set on him. Then he says, be fully sober. So what's the opposite of sober? It's being drunk, right? To have minds, when you're, when you're in a state of drunkenness, your mind is not sharp, it's dull. Your reaction time is slower. There are things that happen that just diminish your capacity. Being drunk slows us down, but a mind that's fully sober can react quickly and intelligently. So maybe your mind is drunk on social media, or maybe your mind is drunk on a relationship that may not be the best for you. 
Maybe your mind is drunk on romance novels or pornography. Maybe your mind is drunk on, uh, on just culture in general. That you're going, I'm so engaged in these things that my mind is just drunk with them. I've drunk the Kool-Aid, so to speak. And whatever that thing is doing or whatever that says, I just believe it and engage it. And Peter's saying to us, you need to have your mind fully sober. Keep these things under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So when Peter talks about minds that are alert and sober, he describes how we live. And I want us to look at these three things this morning. And then we're going to start to wrap this up. So here's the first one. 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 13 through 16, Peter writes and says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I'm holy. Right? So as the Holy Spirit renews our minds, he starts to tell us to think about the future hope that we have. Because you can get bogged down in the things of this world right now and just be kind of put under the weight and the crushing power of everything that you see have, uh, going on all around you, and you just get caught in the moment. And you can't see any hope or any future for you. He goes, if your mind is alert and fully sober, you set your mind on the grace that's coming when Jesus Christ is revealed. So he says, yeah, there's grace that's available to you right now. And there's grace that's available to you because of your past sins. But there's a grace that's going to be revealed when Jesus shows back up. And you need to have your minds set forward on the day that Jesus is going to come. And when he shows up again, there's going to be this level of grace that's given to us as followers of his. He goes, you set your mind on those future things because Jesus is coming back. And you need to look forward to that. We need to let the Holy Spirit transform our lives to live in ways that honor God. The next thing that Peter says there is he goes, I want you to do this so that you'll be holy. You used to conform to the evil desires when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. Now, sometimes we read holy in Scripture and we think that means perfect. It doesn't. It means set apart. Right? Like We are not people who are achieving perfection. We won't be made fully perfect until we're with Christ for all of eternity. When he says, set your hearts on the grace, your minds on the grace that's coming in the future when Christ returns, he's going to radically transform us and all of our sin is going to be done with and all of our pain is going to be done with and all the shame of our life is going to be done with and we'll live in his perfection at that point. But in this life, he says, but I want you to be set apart, be holy like Christ is holy. Be set apart from sin. Be set apart from evil and wickedness. And be set apart from the culture. And just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that we do it. There's a different way that we live as followers of Jesus. That we're holy. We're set apart. We are designated for Christ, not for the culture around us. That's what it means to be holy. You set yourself apart. You distinguish yourself from the culture around you. So that's only possible if your minds are transformed. In renewing your mind, you learn to be holy like Christ is holy. Then he goes on. The second time that he uses this phrase is found in chapter 4. In verse 7, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Right? So because I want you to be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. There's power and influence that's gained in our lives when we pray when our minds are set apart for Christ. 
Because if your mind is just constantly full of junk and garbage and whatever's happening in the world and culture and whatever social media says and all the things that are on the news, if your mind is just flooded with all those things, guess what? Your prayer life is probably going to be diminished. But if you can have a sober mind and be alert to the things of God, then it's going to bring you to a place where you can pray with clarity, where you can pray with power, and that you can seek God about the things that are taking place all around us. We don't have to throw our hands up in the air and run around like crazy people every time something chaotic or catastrophic happens. Jesus warned us, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So you put your mind on me, and you know that in following after me, I'll change the way that you think, I'll change the way that you behave, I'll change the way even that you pray. Right? And he says, the end of all things is near. That's the, the catastrophic impetus of this. Like this. I want you to understand and know that the end is coming. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. Like as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, that, that the world is going to be changing radically around us and is changing radically around us, that we don't want to be caught up in all the stuff that culture says is right and good. We want to be set apart for the things of God. So the end of all things is near. So keep your mind focused on Jesus. Then he moves on and he follows that verse up with some simple knowledge about how we live with the reality that the end is near. Verses 8 through 11 say this. So above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Right? And so Peter would say, when we think right, we live right. Right? Have your minds alert and fully sober. The end is near. Therefore, do these things. Love each other. Show hospitality without grumbling. Use your gifts to serve. Speak the words of God and serve in the strength that God provides. He goes, all of these things happen and we live them out when our minds are focused on Christ. When God renews our minds and changes our minds and reorients our lives and makes us new creations, we start to live these things out. And then that brings us to the third use of this phrase by Peter in chapter 5. So if you look at chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, Peter again says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Peter says, I want you to stop right here for a second. You need to be alert and sober minded because there's an adversary out there. And he's like a lion. And he's not like one of those cute, cuddly lions. He's a lion that wants to get close to you, not to cuddle up with you, but to devour you. He's a lion that wants to rip your heart out and grab you by the throat and take your life. Because that's the adversary we're against. That's the enemy we're against. And we need to have a reality of those things. We need to know those things. Because we live in a time where so many people who call themselves Christians but their lifestyle and their beliefs don't line up with the teaching and the authority of Scripture. They go, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I do everything just like the rest of the culture does. There's nothing that distinguishes me and sets me apart based on the Word of God from the rest of Scripture. Our minds are skewed. 
We have to change our thinking. We have to change our minds. And so he goes on. In verse 9, he says, So resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Peter would say, when our minds are renewed to think and act like Jesus, we're able to resist the schemes of the devil by standing firm in the faith. And Peter says, it's really helpful for you to know that you're not alone doing this. He'll say, there's others that are out there. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same issues. You're not alone in the things that you're struggling against. You're not alone when it comes to what the world is telling us to believe, what the world is telling us to engage in. There's something that other people are struggling through. Because when you stand firm in your faith, because your mind is fixed on Christ and your mind and your heart have been changed to be like Jesus, he goes, after you've suffered for a little while, Christ himself will come and he'll bring peace to you and comfort you. And so we wait for Jesus to come to us in our suffering and in our issues. Now, for the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about these things, about renewing our minds, seeing how a changed mind results in a changed life. But I want to give you a secret. <clears throat> Showing up and sitting here for four weeks and listening to sermons is not going to change your life. All right? It's not going to happen. I'm not that good. Now, the Holy Spirit is that good. And he might could do some things if you just show up and listen. But here's the truth. More than likely, what's going to result in change of mind and change of heart is going to be the way that you engage with Scripture for the next four weeks, in the way that you spend time in prayer for the next four weeks, that you get in relationship with other believers for the next four weeks in your life groups, and you talk about these things, and you bring all of this stuff under the authority of Christ, and you say, I want to know, God, how to have my mind changed. I want to be reshaped into your image. I want to think like Jesus. I want to have a heart that beats like Jesus. So I'm going to ask our band to come back up. We're going to sing a last song here this morning and, and just celebrate some things. But I want you to know that the power of the resurrection is that God takes us from life to death. He wants you to become brand new. He wants us to be new creations. He wants us to have a totally different way of thinking about life. He wants to reshape our mind and teach us to think like Jesus. So here's my challenge to us this week. This week. Read 1 Peter every day this week. Now, there's five chapters. It'll take you about 15 or 20 minutes, maybe less. But every day, just read 1 Peter. Pay attention to the things that he says about having minds that are alert and fully sober. Look into the things that he tells us that that does, how God reshapes us in that. But my challenge to you is every day this week, just read this book, this letter that Paul wrote to the church. And see the things that he might want to do in you. And as you pray, start asking God, what does it look like for me to have a life that's changed because my mind has changed? Because God, there's some things that you want to reshape in me, the way that I think, the way that I believe, the way that I act. And that only happens when I bring myself under the authority of this word of God and under the power of the Holy Spirit to let you be at work to change me, right? And so I know in my life, personally, this last couple of weeks, as I've been thinking forward toward this series, just knowing that 
again, there's things for me that need to change so much in the way that I think. A couple of weeks ago, man, I was just down and depressed and things were not going well and most of it was in my mind. Most of the stuff around me was actually going really well, but for whatever reason, I had convinced myself things are not good. Things aren't good with my kids. Things aren't good with my marriage. Things aren't good with ministry here. Things are bad with some of my friends. I just, everything is bad. And I got sucked into that, and I went down a, a rabbit hole of depression. And when I started doing some more reading and research toward this series, I just started going, man, you know what? Everything that I'm thinking about saying to you needs to be said to me first. Because the way that my mind is geared to think has changed how I believe and it's changing how I'm behaving. And I didn't like how I was behaving. And it all started with just going, God, I just need you to change my mind. Let me see the positive instead of the negative. Let me see what's good instead of what's bad. Let me hear truth instead of lies. God just changed my mind. And I wish I could say that it's just like, bam, like that, turn around, everything was great. It's a process, and I'm still working through it. But God can do it when we surrender to Him and submit to Him and just go, God, just change my mind. Help me to think like Jesus. Help me to believe like Jesus. Help me to behave like Jesus. He wants to do that in our lives. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.